Welcome to our new series of ISN discussions. This week, we are talking all about well-being in international schools. In today's roundtable, uh, we'll be discussing well-being in an international school context. Uh, we'll be focusing on the well-being of not only students, but staff and teachers too. Each of our guests will share the initiatives and strategies they have implemented in their own school setting uh, and share the areas they feel are most pressing around well-being in international schools today. They'll also share their insights around the future of well-being in international schools, where they think things are headed, and best practices they have developed to date in their own schools. The emphasis of this conversation uh, will be on key practical takeaways that you can think about implementing in your own school environments. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Lucy Keller, Priya Mitchell and Andrea Carrera. Welcome to the conversation. Hello. Hi, Max. Hi, and everyone for inviting us. Great stuff. Well, it'd be fantastic to just go through a quick introduction of, uh, of each of you. Um, Andrea, do you, want to, do you want to start first? Yeah, of course. Well, I am Andrea Carrera, a proud Ecuadorian now working in Asia. Um, I, I am a psychologist and I have been working as a counselor for about 12 years now. Um, uh, well, I love my profession and I think that this topic is really important and we are like in a really interesting um a stage of life with education right now. So thank you for having me here. Fantastic. Thanks, Andrea. Lucy, do you want to go next? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Lucy Keller. I'm primarily a teacher, um, but my last role was as uh, the I was the former mindfulness director for United World College Thailand. So I'm also a mindfulness teacher and a yoga teacher. So um, I kind of created well-being uh, curriculum and content, and at the moment I'm doing a master's in the psychology and neuroscience of mental health. Priya. And uh, hi, I'm Priya Mitchell, and I am working in Vietnam, uh, Indian heritage, from the UK, living in Vietnam. This is my 10th uh, year in international school settings. Uh, having lived in Abu Dhabi for nearly nine years before coming to Vietnam last year. Um, and I agree, yeah, well-being is, is so, so important and it encapsulates so much. So I'm really looking forward to having this discussion uh, with all of you this afternoon. Fabulous. All righty. Let's jump into the, the first question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very broad question, but it'd be great to, to get your initial thoughts um, on the topic. And what, what does well-being mean to you in an international school context? Can I start with this one? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I think it's a really interesting and important question, first of all, because I think that um, it's very it's a very difficult answer because I think that well-being means something different to everybody. And it, depending on your lived experience, what well-being is to you is going to be incredibly, incredibly different amongst people, amongst the context that you're living in. So, for example, things for me that work for me to keep me well might be very, very different for somebody else. And I think we have to acknowledge that. I think there's a bit of a, a danger of this blanket. This is well-being. We're throwing it at you rather than who are you and how can you flourish as an individual, as a community? So, yeah, that's my response to that. <laughs> and it's really interesting because... Um, like I completely agree with you, Lucy, and also uh, well-being is not a, uh, 
a destination well being is a process mm-hmm. um and that gave us like the whole idea that it's, it's not that i have to do all these things to have well-being like because mm-hmm. that means that well-being is something that like that's the destination and then after that then what happens because we're yeah. human beings like you know our minds are like some days are good i'm going to use good bad just to as a reference but some days are good some days are bad so that means that well-being is now and well-being is not tomorrow so this is why i think it's important in international environment in international environment to think about as a process um so we don't get stressed out because we want to achieve well-being <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. And for me, well-being is it encapsulates um, much more than mental health, which I think sometimes, especially mm. during COVID and post-COVID, well-being is just a word that's being banded around. And actual fact, it, it means a lot more than just what's going on in our in our heads. And I liked what you were saying, Andrea, because I see well-being as on a continuum. Um, mm. So if I'm talking about mental well-being, you know, I'd like to think the majority of the time I'm on an eight eight to nine, I don't think life is ever perfect, but um, you know, there may be days where maybe I haven't had enough sleep or there's something going on that I need to deal with, um, you know, certain obstacles. And so my wellbeing may drop lower than eight. And it's about, you know, having those tools to kind of get myself back up again. I mean, within the international um, scene, I think there's there's a couple of things that, that um, come to mind for me. And that's, uh, firstly, we have a very transitional, uh, staff, parent, um, student population, um, you know, the whole area of um, third culture kids, uh, what they go through, the challenges that they have, but also the resources that maybe they don't, uh, the local um, population don't have. And also coming back to what, uh, Lucy, what you were saying about that individual uh, look at well-being, um, again, you know, w- within the international context, we've got the whole cultural variants of collectivism, individualism, what does well-being mean? So it's huge if you start to unpick it, it can feel quite overwhelming at times. So yeah, there's a lot there. Brilliant. Great stuff. And then it's sort of starting to think about how we can narrow narrow this down a bit. Um, what, what do each of you think are the most important areas within well-being um, that need to be addressed in the short to medium term um, in an international school context? Andrea, do you want to go first? Yeah, well, I think like before um, answering this question, I think it's important to have in mind what Priya said that well-being is not something that we just uh, split it, you know? So mental health, physical health, like everything is within, right? It's a complex um, concept. So when, when we talk about areas, it's important to understand that um, this separation is just didactical. It's not because it should be like this, right? Because sometimes then we focus, let's say, on the, jo- like talking about people just in the staff and then in parents and then, but this should be done like as a whole. Mm. So yeah. for me, I think it's important in an international setting. You, I think that uh, it's important to start in the community area first um, because if we want to um, um, 
support, let's say, just staff or just parents or individuals without working as a community in the well-being of the community, um, that's going to, 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 to be really, really, really challenging because that's the thing. Um, if we don't work with the community first, we, we kind of need to convince everyone else that they, they need to work towards or they need to work every day in their well-being. So for me, the question is the first area in the community. Um, that's the first area that I would say. Um, and what, sorry, just to jump in there, Andrea, when you mentioned community, are you referring to the whole school, um, so staff, students, parents in its entirety, or sort of the wider community around around the school with which it sits um, regionally? Yeah, well, first, firstly, I think that the school, the school community, uh, the wider community, of course, should be involved. But that, again, that depends on context. Sometimes you can work with the wider community and sometimes you just can't. Uh, so yeah, it's about the school first. Excellent. Lucy, how yeah, about that, you? I, Oh, sorry. Go for you. you look like you had something really. I was, I was gonna say, I, you know, I really, really um, hear what Andrea is saying there because, um, you know, when you talk about the community it's about looking at our our students our parents and our teachers we would I was just in a meeting earlier on and we were talking about um, well-being across the school and how it needs to be we can have programs for the, the students but how we need to then extend it out so one example we were talking about was mindfulness um, and then and, and like Lucy's previous school we you know we are a school that that is very um very much into mindfulness and, and have it as part of our daily um, daily routines. Um, but in order to kind of have the children being uh, doing mindfulness, our teaching staff have to understand what mindfulness actually means. And in the same way, our parents need to understand what mindfulness means, because what you want is for those um, tools, um, ideas to be so that the, the child doesn't matter where the child is, actually everybody understands what the child has learned in terms of themselves and how to remain mindful. Um, so I really like what you said, Andrea, about that. It's, it's kind of that community feel, um, especially in an international school when people may be away from, from their families. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, hand over to Lucy. Thanks, I love what you're both saying and I totally agree with this community-based approach. Um, the onus should not be on the individual always for their own well-being. Yes, we should be able to, you know, learn the, the tools and the skills to kind of cope up with difficult situations and everyone should have access to that knowledge. But for some people, it might be harder than others within a particular context, within a particular community. Um, I'm just thinking of like examples of maybe you might have a a single parent in your community they don't get much time to themselves you know just lots of things people that are having to fight more for equity you know there's you have to look at the bigger picture you have to look at everybody um and have that lens of you know is this is this serving all of us really i think i think it's about and, and this is so go go sorry about, um normalizing as well normal i think sometimes we get so caught up in in oh anxiety or all oh, people are worried and and actually some of that 
you know, some of that emotion is is normal. What do I mean by that? Well, if something has happened um, that isn't a very nice event, um, it may cause anxiety, it may cause sadness. And it's kind of, I don't know, I get to the point where I feel that people feel like we aren't allowed to have any emotions that make us feel unsettled, as opposed to thinking that is life, things are going to happen, and we are going to feel those feelings, and we we learn to live with those feelings, and we learn that actually, okay, today maybe I'm having a bad day, but tomorrow hopefully I won't have a bad day. Um, and starting to normalise, especially with COVID, I feel that there's this huge thing about the next generation and this generation and how much anxiety there is. And yes, whilst that's true to a certain extent, to a certain extent, that was already there beforehand. Um, so, I, you know, again, I think that's something that we just need to start embracing and stop thinking. And I think Andrea made a really good point when she said about the destination, that well-being is not a destination. It's, a, it's, it's what we live every single day. And we have to be reflective and acknowledge that there is a range of feelings and that those feelings are okay. Yeah, and comfort. Again, and this is really interesting because just today, um, and, and I have found this like in international settings, um, sometimes when we talk about well-being, because we want to do our best, right? Like let's say the support teams or the leadership teams, uh, we want to do the best that we can for the community. Sometimes we think that um, being a well-being school, fo like focus, uh, and a school focused on well-being. Sorry, um, that means like to put a lot of things in place, right? But just today we were thinking uh, with a with with a team of people. We were talking about how can we support um, some of our students that um, they, they are severe EAL, like they are just starting to understand English, for example. Mm -hmm. And when they are feeling their emotions, they don't know how to name it, mm -hmm. you know? There mm -hmm. are certain cultures, this, this led us to another conversation about cultures that they mm -hmm. don't have the emotional language to talk about, you know? So how can we like, we want to put in place like well-being programs and all these strategies and uh but sometimes the first thing that we need to do is as Priya was saying talking about emotions like can we name emotions can everyone name emotions like in in counseling departments for example or well-being departments even teachers do you have like a visual aids for people that are learning English that maybe they are Korean, Japanese, and they don't know how to express themselves. So yes, we're going to talk about well-being, blah, blah, blah. That person is upset. And then you you ask that person, like, what are you feeling? Like, uh, what is happening? And that person doesn't have the language to talk to me about that. So are we using visual aids, for example, when we talk about emotions, maybe with colors, maybe sign language, maybe, uh, in 10 different languages, for example, you know what I mean? Mm. So talking about areas, I think that one area, like an interesting area is goes to the basics and the basics, one of the basics is emotions. So 
that, that was really interesting that happened uh, today. I was talking about like, maybe we can do this and we can uh, start, um, you know, modeling this strategy, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to my office and I had this student that doesn't have enough English to even say, I am feeling like this. And I was like, oh, my goodness, go to the basics. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's fascinating. That's really, really interesting. Um, I don't know if anyone has anything to add on, on that just before we move on to the next the next bit, but there's so many interesting points we touched on there. And I think it'd be great to, to dive into a bit around the the sort of the strategies and, and things you've put into place. And Andrea, I'd love to hear what you uh, what you put into place with regards to that that case or, or are starting to think about. Um, so yeah, my, my question would be, you know, what, what key strategies have each of you um, put in place in, in your current or, or previous schools um, to, to prioritize the, the well-being of, of staff and teachers firstly? So we'll, we'll focus on staff and teachers first. So I had a little think about this and I, <laughs> It was really interesting. I had so much more written down for kids than for staff. So I just wanted to just put that out there first of all. Uh, there were a few great things that we did, but I think perhaps that's something that now if I was there in that role, I would maybe go back to this again, because I think this is really key. But um, yeah, so in our school, um, we had a couple of things. We had mindfulness courses for teachers. And then if they were taking that mindfulness course, they got a, a, like an after school activity removed from them. So they would have a bit to do that. Um, and they would be kind of throughout the year. So uh, People got them as they in their second term, not when they arrived, because it's overwhelming. And then after that, they could pick and choose. So that was a nice thing. Um, I think counsellors were always on hand for teachers, which is really great, especially in lockdown. They had like key times that, that you could drop in in case you, you needed anything. Um, but yeah, like I say, I think we invested so much time in the kids. Perhaps that's something that schools need to, to think about a little bit more. Anyone else got anything to add? Yeah, um, at my previous school uh, in, in Abu Dhabi, so we were actually the first international school to get the School Mental Health Award out of uh, Leeds Beckett. And, and uh, one of the things we did is we, really, we did look at staff wellbeing. And I had to write, I had to write it down because I was like, oh, God, yeah, we did this, this, and this. Um, and I know I always say, you know, well-being is more than a cup of tea and a biscuit. Um, and it it yeah. really is. It's about mm. everything else that we're doing. Um, so one of the things that um we did was uh within health insurance, because in the UAE it's all about private health insurance, you know, the NHS doesn't exist. Um so our, the health insurance didn't cover any kind of counselling or psychological psychiatric interventions. So it meant that, you know, if you were struggling with your mental health and you couldn't afford to go and see a counsellor, you're just going to get, you know, more and more in that cycle of not, not having, you know, positive well-being. Um, so our health insurance was changed so that we could go and see um, a counsellor or a psychiatrist, whatever it was. Um, and I know at the school that I'm at at the moment, um, our health insurance does the that does the same thing. We also did things like um, SLT would host uh, like lunch and chat. Um, and what it would what it was is that SLT literally bought us all lunch. Um, and we would we would mix up the team. So rather than kind of primary staff on primary campus, 
secondary staff or a secondary campus, we tried to get a mix of staff. Um, and there was one rule, and the one rule was you were not allowed to talk about school. So you couldn't talk about anything work-related. Um, and the feedback was amazing because teachers were saying, you know, one, that they talked to people that they wouldn't normally have lunch with because, you know, primary and secondary campuses are quite, during the day-to-day, -day, we don't, you know, staff weren't mixing. And they were talking about how they met staff from the other campus and that all these different hobbies that people had, you know, talking about knitting and, and it actually increased that self sense of belonging to the community. And we know that sense of belonging really does improve mental health. So, so those are just two things. I thought, yeah, let's, let's get those out there. Because they were just, you know, quite easy to implement as well. So that's, yeah. What about you, Andrea? What, um, what kind of things? Um, well, it, it, like I think generally that the school I work with uh, right now, I work on in uh, right now, like that school has done a lot of things for staff that I have never seen in my life. So one of the things that uh, this school uh, did, because it's something that we have now, we have like a, a, a big room uh, with a lot of resources, massage chairs, uh, aromatherapy, um, well, all the kind of mandalas, puzzles, all the kind of things that uh, you find in an emotional regulation room, we have that ex uh, exclusive for staff. So I think that that's really interesting because, and it's like the, um, the location is like in the middle of the building. So it's, it, it, students know that that's the well-being for a uh, room for staff. So it, it has helped to model because we also have for students to model mm -hmm. the situation like huh, it's okay to go to that place like mm -hmm. it try trying to this the stigmatize you know oh it's going to the counselors because crazy like the same oh it's going to the well-being room because their well-being is horrible or something I don't know um, mm -hmm. so it's really interesting how this room has helped uh, the staff. In the beginning, it was not that used because there is this um, idea that uh, what leadership is going to think if I go to that room for, I don't know, 20 minutes, maybe they're going to think that I have nothing to do. You know what I mean? Like these kind of things. But because this uh, well-being is a, is a topic that has been worked like from the leadership to everyone else, I think that now is 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 more used like that this room is more used um and uh, so that's one thing that i think that is really 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 nice um because like if if a school wants to say that is focusing well-being you need to invest time and money it is what it is um priorities mm -hmm. so that's something that 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 my school did um, another thing is uh, we have a well-being program for staff. So we have activities uh, from 6 a.m. until 7 a.m. before the school starts, you know, running, walking, gym, mindfulness, like a range of activities. We have uh, other activities at lunchtime, uh, swimming, like there are people that wants to go at lunch lunchtime to do these kind of things. And we have after school. Um, I, like we have like maybe 30 or 40 different activities. So uh, that's something that everyone can go if they want. If they want. 
I think that that's one of the challenges, like to, well, not convince, like to make, like to raise awareness on the fact that we are more than our jobs. We, we are human beings most of the times. <laughs> so we need this, you know? So that's something, the race awareness is something that it takes time, but my school is on that process. And I, I'm going to say a third one, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go for another one. And it's the transition process for new stuff. Um, mm. I, I, like my school assigned bodies, but like a real body program for us. Um, and I think that that was really useful. I was a new staff last year and it was useful um, to have someone contacting you three months before you get into the country to talk about things, you know, and and, um, and also the staff created a guidance. Like if you want to shop, you can use this app. Like if you want to go to the dentist, these are the dentists that we use. If you want, you know, this kind of things. Yeah. Um, so important. that was really useful, I think. Like just yeah. because you are so stressed, right? And anxious. Mm -hmm. about, oh my goodness. And in my case, I don't even speak the language of this country. I am in Indonesia. So having those kind of guidance is like, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, like I'm not going blind, you know? Yeah. Can I just add something to what Andrea said? I think what she said about having that space as well is really important to show that you actually, like a physical representation of what you value. Um, we also had a mindfulness center in our school. And one of the great things that I think I saw was one day I went back there because I was going to have a session and I opened the door and the head teacher was there practicing mindfulness. And there was also a student at the same time. So they'd obviously nice. gone in separately and the fact that it just shows we're all human. He needed his time. He needed his moment. She needed her moment. And they could both see in that moment that, you know, it's, it's about all of us. We all need, we all need support and we all need to pause sometimes. So, yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. And I think that, that piece, yeah, around sort of role modeling is so key, isn't it? I, I suppose. And that's sort of really what it boils down to is to have, to, to empower agency within staff uh, and then we'll move on to, you know to, to students as well shortly but um yeah showing them that it is okay and, and getting those sort of i don't know early adopter mindsets to to sort of yeah, latch onto it and say yes this is important and um and prioritizing for that for themselves and then you know the ripple effect that that can have can be hugely um hugely powerful can't it mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Brilliant. All righty. And now sort of looking at strategies you put in place for uh, for, for students, um, what would be great to, to pick each of your brains around around that piece? Um, this is like, where I have a very long list. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say them all, but I feel like we really uh, kind of nailed this one. Not, not completely, but yeah. Um, so a couple of things were, um, one of the things for students were, having a well-being curriculum, I think, for the secondary school. We took a long time. We co collaborated uh, myself, the counsellor, um, other people that were interested in other aspects of well-being. Um, we all got together and we wrote, you know, like a programme. And it was about well-being for self-community in the world. So it was a kind of self-awareness to, to, to be able to support well-being of everyone in our community and the wider world. So it was really nice. It had that kind of community feel from, from when it was um, first visioned. 
And then in, in the early years in, in PYP, you know, having certain units of inquiry devised and developed around well-being, um, and then seeing the kids going off and having autonomy and creating their own kind of things around that. One example is grade three, wanted to make a digital book with all kind of tips and videos and mindfulness practices. Um, and that was their idea that they wanted to push out to other kids. And they also invited other kids to their workshops that they created around those things, which was just amazing to see there was a, a student who um, her mum was a yoga teacher so she'd obviously picked some of that up and she led some sessions for other kids and also you know did a video about it and that kind of thing uh, so that's curriculum but the second thing was um, rituals we were talking about the other day Andrea and I and, and Priya about rituals um, and we had a ritual called council which some of you may have heard of um, um, I'll briefly explain, but um, I guess we can send information on to people if they're interested. But it was just having this designated weekly space, uh, primarily for secondary school. It used to be more in the primary school. It kind of phased out and then we were trying to bring it back in because well, the, the students that we saw that had actually stayed with us until kind of grade 9 and 10, 11, which aren't many always in international schools, but they... They, they loved council and they found it very valuable. That was their feedback. Um, so it's a, a space you sit in a circle together, um, but it's, it's a special time. Like it's a special space. You might bring something um, that means something to you and put it into the circle to acknowledge that you're there. And then there's a prompt every week and the prompts can come from, they can come from the teacher, but Often we get the, the, the students to write the prompts and put them in a box and then you can pull them out and everyone responds to the prompt. But there's kind of four guidelines to listen from the heart, to speak from the heart, to speak spontaneously. So not rehearsing while other people are speaking, just really trying to hear those people um, um, and just say what's 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 you, you know, what comes up for you um, and to speak leanly so you're not... Um, you know taking over kind of thing and over time you know they pass the talking piece around and they they speak about this prompt and over time you know it just becomes something that's so embedded in them that they know when they go into that space you know it's a safer space to share um because they know not to share what happens in the circle obviously you have to with safeguarding if anything is brought up you have to let them know that if it's something that's going to harm them or others that you need to speak to a counsellor, right? You have to do all of that kind of thing. And so people needed training on this. But once that training's happened, it's just such an effective way that people know they can bring stuff to the circle, they can share. It's a bonding time. It's a time where, you know, you see, you see humans, like Priya was talking about, you know, seeing each other as humans, not just as other students in, in your class and you know what people are going through and sharing fun things and joyful things it's not all doom and gloom it's you know um yeah it was really really impactful that's fascinating just just a quick question on that uh, Lucy. Yeah. was there any sort of initial um hesitancy or sort of uh, nervousness from students and perhaps if there was then then how did you sort of um try to overcome that so I was lucky. This was implemented before I even arrived in the school. So 
the thing is that with, with the secondary school kids that have been there a while, they're always the ones that kind of carry it forward to the next class. Um, we started to implement it in the primary school where we'd seen that it'd been phased out a bit. Um, and they were, they were mostly fine with it, but you do have to be aware of different people in the circle. They do, you know, you don't have to speak if you don't want to speak. Like you were talking about EAL learners, um, Andrea, beforehand, you might want to tell them what the prompt is, you know, mm -hmm. and, and have give them something. So if they want to share, you know, all of those things that we hope good teachers would be <laughs> considering and thinking like, yeah, it's not just the simple process of that. You have to consider what you're doing. You have to be very aware and, and mindful of that. So, yeah. Fantastic. What an amazing way to teach young people about things like empathy and active listening. Mm. And also, you know, when we talk about equity and inclusion, um, I mean, just listening to what you're talking about and that, that kind of um, tool, it just you're teaching so many skills, aren't you? Whilst providing mm. a safe space for children to feel that they belong. Mm. Just, I love yeah. it. Absolutely yeah, love I it. Think. Yeah. yeah, really good. Really good. Usually the uh, second round, oh, sorry. Usually the second round, they'd go round first and share the prompt. But the second round would be, can you just say a word that you heard someone else say? And that was so lovely. You would see the delight in someone's face when someone else who they don't usually hang out with, you know, has picked up on something they said and they felt heard in that moment. That was, mm. yeah, really, really powerful. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Fair. What about yourself? Yeah. Um, well, I, I love the idea of the console and I have been reading about that. So just, just FYI, this is brilliant. <laughs> um, we'll also put some of the links for, for what we're discussing in, in the article as well. So um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll direct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it is, it is really, really interesting. Um, in my school, um, what what we have been doing is well, we have like a, a well-being curriculum as well. Um, that and I, I like this because it has uh, because it was built by the school. It has this possibility of every year or even like every term we revisit the topics. For example. And we see if these topics uh, are responding to the reality in that moment, right? Because curriculums, you you build curriculums before the day, the year starts. Uh, but I like this idea that uh, the whole well-being team revisits the curriculum and I mean, you know what? Maybe we need to talk about this topic now because this is happening. You know this kind of thing. So yeah. I think that that's really important. And we have one period of well-being every day like everything can change but the well-being period that doesn't move and that I, I think that that's really really interesting uh because it's every day talking about everything regarding well-being um that's fascinating Andrea, and, what does that look like um in in reality for for students is it is it an hour or an hour and a half block where time is dedicated is, is 30 minutes per day um, and like it's part of the timetable, so you know you have well-being, and everyone has well-being at the same time. So that that's really really interesting because that also helps a lot to our 
IN students, uh, neurodiverse students, because that's, that is not an academic thing, you know? So it, we, we don't even use the, the, the word class or lesson is a session. So well-being session. And every time that we hear students or even teachers like, oh, it's well-being class. No, 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 well-being session. So everyone knows that it's something different, you know, uh, starting with the language. So I think that that's really, really important. Um, and uh, another thing, we have a well-being day and, it, and it's a whole day just to talk about well-being and not only talk about well-being, like we have activities, we have external providers talking about mental health or nutrition, exercise, like um, uh, even the, 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 from the spiritual um, uh, part, well-being, like as a spiritual area, uh, mm -hmm. like it's a whole day just for well-being. So I think that that's really, really interesting. Um, and another thing that is important and it's embedded on well-being, my school has a real strong focus on this, and is service days. So we have, uh, I think that we have a couple of days per term, uh, and all the day is just service. So all the foundations that our students are supporting, the oldest students supporting the youngest students, like it's a full day just for service to, yeah, to serve others. Uh, and I think that that's really interesting because the whole idea is we rise uh, while lifting others, right? By lifting others. So I, I think that this is really important when we talk about empathy with our students because most of our students in international schools, like they are privileged uh, students. Um, so the fact that they can have this opportunity uh, because we also work with the wider community, um, I, I think that that really helps them to put in perspective a lot of things. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that those are the main things and we have like a whole department just for service. So, yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah, what about yourself? It's interesting. Well, we we um, so so my school's part of the Cognita network of schools, and they have Global Wellbeing Day. So, like you were just saying, Andrew, it's once once a year, and actually, it's on Friday. Um, and there's a different theme. So this this year, it's like on diet and nutrition. So you know, the whole school stops. Well, all of the schools stop on that particular day in terms of teaching the curriculum um, and focus on um, that particular topic and look at well-being from that lens. Um, so and that works really, really well. And last year was a bit of a challenge because we were online completely. Um, so trying to do the day online, it but it actually was amazing. You know, we had students doing things for students, we had parents involved, teachers involved, really, really wonderful day. So it, it's interesting how different kind of schools kind of try and, well, not try, but do similar things. Um, yeah. And we also have, so we follow the POSED out of Geelong. That's the kind of uh, positive education program curriculum that, that we use. We're in our second year in the secondary school of doing it and um, the primary school are going to start it this year again because we were online trying to deliver a new curriculum like that with you know younger children was was you know setting ourselves up to fail um so you know so we do like the positive we have um the, these pod a, a positive education lessons which every grade will be doing um 
I know when we were chatting before, I was talking about in my previous school where we had failure week and about mm, helping helping young people, yeah, to understand that failure is part of life, you know. And so some of the things we did was uh, staff wrote um, about times when they'd failed. So, for instance, I failed my driving test twice, um, had to take my driving te- test three times, um, you know. The first time I I didn't pass, did I stop at that point? No, I didn't. I kept going. And it's about helping um, students to understand that, you know, failure is part of life and we learn from failure and we we kind of work out what we have to do. We had another activity where we had like a still life in the middle of a a big atrium and and then we had loads of easels around it and the staff who were not artists um, drew this still life and you know we did it during a light lunchtime so that students were watching staff who were totally out of their comfort zone um, you know drawing a still life and kind of going oh okay right this isn't and you know it's an area of development for me it's not an area of strength but again it's you know you were saying before about role modeling um, you know uh, Lucy you were talking about how amazing it was to see the head teacher and the student in the same place and and sharing that experience and I think as as adults in the building you know the children do look up to us students look up yeah. to us and if we can role model what we're trying to say to them um, then you know they're really going to take it more on board aren't they because it's not us just like lecturing them it's kind of okay we're telling you to step out of your comfort zone and take a risk that's what mm. we're doing as well. So, so yeah, so th- those two things are, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, we have these POS curriculum, POS ed curriculums, but also there's other creative ways that we can show students, you know, how to develop resilience. Mm. I think that's it, isn't it? It's those, those little sort of strategies and things that people try and put in place, maybe that don't work, but maybe that do work sort of and have a, a sort of a much greater impact than, than they thought it might do. And, and these are all the learnings that, that we can take and, and sort of spread through through the network and, and sort of it's fascinating hearing you guys sort of share these initiatives. And I love the idea of failure week, just sort of mo- modeling vulnerability um just yes. such a powerful thing isn't it not only for student uh, not only for, for staff and teachers across the board but then obviously for, for students to see teachers being vulnerable that's really powerful i think isn't it and um that's really interesting mm. fascinating and it comes back to what we were saying earlier on about life is a mixture of emotions yeah and we shouldn't be scared about embracing the emotions that make us feel unsettled you know that is life and then it might go on to link to, to you know, so what Andrea said beforehand about um, sort of labeling emotions to a certain degree as well. And if they see adults expressing those emotions, they might, again, might find it easier to express how they're feeling. Um, and yeah. Like, yeah, like, for example, uh, it's really interesting. Um, the the IN coordinator of my school, she's a genius. And what she did this year is like we have our lanyards, right, with our names and pictures, right, like that. Um, and what she did is she printed like um, a paper on the on the um, size of the lanyard with uh, with it says zones of regulation, and and you have like blue, red, oh, yeah, uh, yeah Green, well the yeah. four colors, right. Yeah. And uh, it, that has been like a game changer because as I was saying, like I, our EAL students, our neurodiverse students uh, and everyone else, uh, even for culture that you don't talk about emotions, um, 
all of us as a staff, we have those lanyards. So if we see a student that is struggling with something and can talk, we show our lanyard and we ask them, like, how do you feel? Show me here. So it, it, that has been like, it's so simple, but it's so genius because that has helped us to identify uh, what is happening, uh, even if the student doesn't have the words to express it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that primary school was doing for a while, because primary, you know, you are teaching them about emotions, but now we have implemented that in secondary school. Oh, and it's wow. amazing, like just to do like, we all are working with a rainbow kind of uh, lanyard. And if something happens, regardless of if you are like their tutor, a teacher or someone in the admin team, like if you see someone struggling, show them the lanyard and ask them like, and, and the students know, like if I am feeling red, I can do this. If I am feeling blue, I can do this. Like they know now what to do. So I think that that's really interesting. It's so simple. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Love that, that. Sounds amazing. Can I just add something simple that's made me, Andrea's made me think of something else. Cards too. Thoughts, feelings, body sensations, and in, like urges and actions. And from from forever, they would be in the classrooms. And then whenever we attended a new situation, maybe we were going on a trip or maybe even just when we were doing a maths problem in class, from quite young, I mean, when they were that young, no, I mean, it would be more pictures and just feelings and things like that, right? But um, as they went through, we would always discuss, you know, discuss with a partner, what have you noticed? What are you thinking about this? How are you feeling about this? Have you noticed anything in your body? Like, is it tight? Does it feel relaxed? And this was a constant process day in day out these were up and they would be like it would just be like a check-in so it was normal to notice your internal experience mm -hmm. and for someone to feel scared about something and someone not to feel and isn't it so amazing that we all feel different things about the same situation isn't yeah. it important to check in with others about how they feel because someone might be really enjoying themselves and someone might not be so that some of those simple things but I think their mindfulness practice supported that because they were able to notice those things. But yeah, just some of the simple things that are day in and day out like that can be so powerful too. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, I like that. Mm. And like any, both any of those things, like you said, they're simple, but so effective. You can see how effective they're going to be. So, yeah. If we'd had your lanyards and put that together, that would have been even better, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's <Right? laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And um, and just moving now on to um onto parents. So obviously one of the key key stakeholders within any international school are the parents. And yeah, some of the some of the sort of the strategies that you put in place to think about how you could include them in the conversation. Andrea, you mentioned community, how you included them as part of that, um, of that well-being piece, um, holistic well-being piece in, in the school. It'd be great to great to get your your, your thoughts on, on what what you guys put in place. Um, Andrea, do you want to do you want to start with yours? Yeah, first? yeah. 
Um, that's an interesting one because, well, in my last school, we did a lot of, we had, we created like this a school for parents, it was called, right? So, um, uh, like, you can't teach parents parenting, but I, I don't know, like, that, that was the name that we chose. And it was really interesting because uh, we used to have um, um, twice a month, they like they went to school uh, and they had sessions with me to talk about parenting and different topics regarding parenting. So it was really interesting because it was it was not just, you know, like the workshop in one month or like the three workshops on the year, like they had to be consistent on, on this situation. So that that was really interesting um, because we like I, I was in charge of that so I used to talk about the topics that the students were um, talking about in life skills program I was talking the same topics but for parents so the two of them can if they want to or, or, or if was the situation the two of them can have like a, a conversation about the topics and at the same time uh, giving parents information and because mo most of the times parenting gets stuck in international schools because you're dealing with your own thing, right? And at the same time, you need to support your children. Mm -hmm. So um, that's something that uh, we did in my last school. And this school has been really interesting. We have workshops every month, once a month, uh, regarding uh, mental health, development, these kind of things. Um, but because of COVID, um, I... I it has been kind of difficult to include parents in other activities. Um, but now that we are uh, face to face, now uh, they are um, uh, involving uh, uh, themselves in a lot of activities. Uh, it might be interesting to know what's the outcome because this is going to be my first year like face to face with them. Um, but that's something that we did with parents and also, uh, Again, talking about language, my what my school uh, has been doing is having people, for example, for the Korean community, let's say, for example, um, uh, because they don't have enough English, then workshops are delivered by us as counselors, but with a translator um, and just for them. So we can also talk about like you know the cultures and this the culture and this kind of things. So I think that also that that is really important because you acknowledge the differences in cultures um, and try to do your best to overcome the language problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's what we have been doing with parents. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> For, for, for me, in the various schools I've worked in, it's things like signposting. Um, because, you know, you were saying earlier on, Andrea, about when you land as a new member of staff in a country <laughs> and you don't know where things are. Um, and then, you know, you, you then slowly get to know where things are. So, you know, our parents know where to get their groceries or where the nearest kind of football club is for their kids. <laughs> but you, when, you know, when their children are maybe struggling with... Um, the mental well-being they wouldn't have a clue where to look uh so you know so being able to be um available to our parents and be able to signpost them um, and give them that information on kind of where they can go and you know 
that it's not you just go to this one surgery and they'll do everything for you but that you know if you need a cognitive assessment these are the places mm. we'd recommend and that the places you're recommending actually have been tried and tested and as opposed to you've gone through the phone book and worked out oh well they're nearby um so doing things like that with parents and mm. and coming back to what you were saying about the parent education sessions um and you know like you were saying that the students would be doing one thing and then you would be running a similar thing for the parents and that's exactly you know for, for me that that works it goes back to what we were saying earlier on wasn't it about helping everyone in the community understand why we're doing a particular workshop or intervention mm. or whatever whatever it is um and again you know parents want to be involved don't they they want to be involved in raising their children um and it's about again relationships are so important aren't they so by doing mm. those pieces of work it could be as simple as doing things like coffee with the counsellor um you know, yeah. so that you've got a set time when your parents can come in and talk to your counsellors um, and get to know them so that they're, that they're not this, as you were saying, this area of the staff that's actually stigma to go and see. They're, they're like, oh, yeah, it's Priya. Um, yeah, I had a coffee with her last week. I know who she is. It's not a big deal. And I think especially in the international community where we tend to live kind of within the community as opposed to mm. we work in one area and then we drive an hour to get home. You know, we tend to kind of all be part of that community. You bump into people in the supermarket or, you know, when you go swimming or whatever it is. So so you become a familiar person that maybe they trust more to give them that, that mm. information. So, again, it's about building those relationships um, so that the parents trust you. Um, you know, I, I know for safeguarding, um, as a safeguarding lead, those relationships are so important, you know, because working in countries where there are no uh, safeguarding processes um, externally, no. you really do need to, to create those relationships with the parents and help educate them um, to help no. them understand no. the impact of their behavior. I mean, we haven't even touched on safeguarding under the World Wing mm. agenda today, but you know, that, that could be another whole session party, on its own. Party for sure. Yeah, 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 but it's those relationships that are, I think for me are so important. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you that the relationships are important. And I think we were very lucky. We had a very strong parent community, I think, because we were on an island as well. Like you say, you bump into everybody in a small place in the shops and everybody knows everyone. <laughs> Sometimes a bit too much. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, we had this uh, great PSG that, you know, when new families would come, they'd really try to reach out to, to, to support them. Um, and we had um, very, it was a very open door policy and lots of kind of coffees and meet and greets and all of those kind of things. But we had, I used to have a mindfulness drop in every week and then at points in the year also do mindfulness courses they could sign up to if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And our counsellor mm -hmm. did a really nice thing. She used to have book club, parent book club. And so they could vote on, she'd pick some, some books and it would be about, it might be about parenting or it might be about other things, but they could pick what they wanted. Generally, they liked the parenting ones. They wanted to learn more about, you know, um, how to um, work with their children better. So she would give them like a list, they would vote and then they would come each week and they'd have read a chapter and they'd talk about it and discuss okay. it and that kind of thing. Mm. We actually did a council for parents to show them what council was, which was really interesting too. 
Um, yeah, I would say that was one of our strong points working with parents. Lots, lots of things. They were they were often on campus. Yes, <laughs> they were yes. on campus a lot. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I think that sounds. Yeah, I think building building relationships sounds like that's that's the most key thing, right? With with parents and building that trust, building rapport, building the openness, modeling vulnerability, all that sort of stuff is um is just vital. And it sounds like. Sounds like you're all doing some amazing stuff there. And Lucy, it sounds like your, your community was really, really tight knit, which, um, and maybe yeah. geography plays a part in that as well. You know, the yeah. fact that physically, um, the environment can have an impact around that. And, um, and yeah, I think certainly how culturally speaking and, and that kind of thing, I think that's a whole nother, whole nother discussion that I think we would be fascinated to, to touch on more. So uh, maybe in a part two or even a part three. Um, excellent stuff. And my, my last question, so it'd be great to, you know, we've gone through staff and teachers, students and parents, what best practice and, and sort of strategies you've put in place. Um, and so, you know, just, just sort of taking a step back now with my final question, um, looking at top tips, like a, a top, sort of a top strategy, your two, um, you know, two top strategies that, that you would advise um, a school, you know, maybe that is touching on students, teachers, parents, or, or whichever stakeholder you'd like to refer to, um, where, where would they potentially um, look to start if they're looking to enhance their wellbeing program um, throughout their school? Um, what would you, each of you advise your sort of top two, top two ideas, I suppose, and where, where a school should start? Uh, Priya, do you want to? I can go first, yeah. So, at the at the part, uh, beginning of the journey for the school mental health award, one of the things we had to do was we had to um, look at what provision we already had. So kind of our areas of strength and our areas of development. And we did that across all three stakeholders, so our students, our teachers and our parents. Um, and that was it was so worthwhile doing because you got a real a real in-depth look at you, you know, you may have thought you were really strong in one area and actually there may have been different perceptions from the teachers or the parents. Mm. So, you know, having those kind of surveys and collecting that, that evidence um, was, was amazing to go through. It was, it, you know, it was a intense piece of work, but it gave us so much data to then look at, okay, where are the areas of development and what are we gonna prioritize and what are we gonna do to improve um, that area. So for instance, we looked at bringing in the Friends Resilience Programme, um, you know, to kind of raise um, with, with children who maybe had social skills difficulties um, and understanding their emotions. So, you know, that was one small area that we thought, okay, let's bring this in and let's see how, you know, whether we start with like a little group and then whether or not we can widen it out. Um, and from that, you know what we realized especially because I was working in the Middle East is there is no one size fits all um, because you know we've talked about this international school and different cultures etc and one of the things that struck me was you know we had this like counseling service that was really really busy you know I was non-stop all day every day but initially there was a um kind of a resistance from uh, the local Emirati population in terms of why were they not coming to the counselor? And the more I looked into it, and the more I looked into the understanding of mental health in Islam, it made total sense to me. I was like, yeah. well, because they don't see mental health as something um, that's going on with their body. They see it as, well, if I've done something I shouldn't have done, and if I've upset, if I've upset God, then that's why I'm now, having mental health difficulties. So if, if that's your belief, 
well, why are you going to come and see me? Because I'm not going to make any difference. Mm. You know, you're going to go and see your imam and you're going to, to try and understand what you can do to repair whatever it is you have done. So sitting there and going, right, go and see the counsellor, do the Friends Resilience Programme. You know, they're going to be looking at you as if to say, well, why would I do that? Mm. So kind of understanding your population. So what's going to work at Lucy's school or Andrea's school is not necessarily going to work where I am. And you really have to have that understanding of your population. What are their needs? And it comes back to that individual that Lucy talked about really, really early on and understanding where are your areas of strength and where are your areas of development. And also appreciating that sometimes we do have all the expertise and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have to get the expertise in. Um, so I don't know if that's one, two or three, but kind of that encapsulates for me when you're looking at well-being in a school, you know, where, where you can start. Yeah. And I completely agree with you, like Priya, because I was thinking about data, like how important is to yeah. have data to yeah. uh, make decisions. Like, it's interesting. I have seen uh, in, in different areas that I have worked on, um, we teachers, well, I am not a teacher, but I'm going to put myself there. We teachers, uh, we talk a, a lot about assessments and data and self-reflection and all these kind of things. Uh, but it's interesting because the schools, they, unless they are going through, you know, um, any international award or something like this, we don't do a lot of data. We, mm -hmm. we don't collect a lot of data, right? So it's really interesting what you were saying. It, yeah, completely. For me, that's the first uh, top strategy. Using surveys, using um, groups control, circles of conversation, like with different stakeholders, like that is so important because otherwise, you read something about, oh, this is amazing. This is going to work in my school. And then you invest everything and then that didn't work. So yeah. I think that that's really important. Uh, and this self-reflection process has to be, again, like now once a year, hopefully this could happen like maybe once per term, uh, hopefully once per month. So you can start changing things uh, and responding to your reality that I think that that's really important and and for me the second top strategy is focus on transitions um, if students parents teachers if we don't uh, walk through the, those grief processes that transitions bring to us it's difficult to move on and that that feeling stuck is going to uh, have a lot of impact in, in, in your well-being individually and as a community. So I think that transitions are really, really important. Transitions from phases, transitions identifying which, which families, for example, are changing countries and which ones are changing schools because that transition process is going to be different, you know? Um, the same with the staff, like, as a South American in Asia has been quite an interesting experience. And it was so, it is so different from my European friends, right? So that's something that 
if you talk about those kind of things, that is going to help the well-being as well. So I understand my students when they say that they come from South America, for example, I was like, huh, yeah, yeah, completely. I know, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and the same, like, for example, like moving, I have seen like moving, for them moving from public schools in their countries, to an international school in another country, like that's a whole different process, you know? So I think that putting, um, investing energy and resources and everything in transitions, their world, uh, their culture kids the same. I, I think that that's really, really important. And for me, that leads me to the two and a half uh, tragedy uh, <laughs> and it's <laughs> and it's ne networking. So this is why I think that these kind of things that, the thing that we're doing right now is so important mm -hmm. because sometimes even though we are international schools our vision is not international at all like this is my school and this is my world and you know my little bubble here and yes like it is my little bubble here but what is happening around the world as well maybe I can have an idea like what you just said Priya I was like I'm going to go tomorrow to the well-being team to talk about the coffee idea and the book club idea you know what I mean like these kind of things you need that and the school yeah. should provide these yeah. opportunities to network you know so yeah I think yeah I'm going to stop myself because as a South American I'm going to keep talking so. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with both of you both your points um thank you for that and I think one what one of my points is very similar to both of yours you can't really change anything unless you know where you're at, right? So like both of them have said, for me, it's actively seeking feedback, yeah. being prepared to be uncomfortable in what yeah. you may receive yeah, yeah. and not then analyzing it in a way that, oh, they're just saying that because they're this or they're just saying that. Actually hearing what the people yeah. are saying and choosing to believe that because you can't change anything if that person is saying this is a problem for me and you're coming along with cakes and coffee on a friday and that's not meeting that person's needs it doesn't matter if you label it as well-being that yeah, person doesn't yeah. feel like their well-being has been heard it could doesn't go the opposite help. way as well couldn't it it could make them it yeah. could more it, makes, it yeah. makes me mad sometimes yeah. actually makes you more mad and i read this uh, interesting article about um, burnout, uh, I'm not sure if it's true, you can think about this, you can research, but it was interesting to me that burnout is caused from us having a purpose and many things getting in the way of that purpose. Every time you try to do it, that stops you, you mm -hmm. get stopped, you get stopped, like it's frustration, but frustration that's kept inside because you have to keep going in and that, like, that's what it was saying, right? And I think about the chronic stresses that some of our teachers face day in and day out of just trying to get their job done. And there might be some things you could look at if you actively sought feedback where you would see, oh, there's patterns here. And that's actually a simple tweak. We could remove this thing out of the system because actually, is that helping anyone? So sometimes it might not be about you know, all these other things, looking after our minds, bodies, blah, blah, blah. It might actually be a simple case of looking at structures and systems and how could we maybe 
change things up and standing back, you know, yeah. taking a, a, a step back and looking at the bigger picture. And um, that's my number one. And my number two is this art of pausing, which I like to call it, you know, this just giving people permission to pause. Many people want to stop sometimes. You're caught up in everything and you just want it. You're like, I want to stop. But you see, oh no, that person over there, they're stressed out. They're doing this thing. So I've got to be with them stressed out. And everybody's just caught in this thing. You know, if we offer people, really give them a permission to pause and to be able to be brave and say, do you know what? I just, I need to stop right now. Sometimes I think it would help us to make better decisions um, and I think the example of having that space, um, you know, where people can stop, where the head teacher was there and the student was there, they had that permission to pause because that was something that we really did. We really did invitationally, daily, consistently try to um, try to grow in our school was that, you know, it's important to pause. So it and really I just just feeding on from what you were saying, Andrew, you, you said something that really struck a chord for me. Um, you know, you were saying kind of as uh, somebody from South America living in an Asian country um, mm. and, and, you know, the, the, the kind of transition for you. Um, and it really struck me as well in regards to um, ethnic diverse uh, mm. staff, because it that is a huge issue in international schools in terms of, the the staff make up diversity wise and culturally and I'm thinking you know you're when you said when you you said you know a different experience to European teachers and I thought you're absolutely right because there's another whole thing that might go on for um teachers families of color going to various mm. parts of the world and it's something that maybe we don't consciously think, oh, we need, we need to support them around that um, and helping people to understand that actually that may be another whole issue that nobody's you know, thought about. Um, and it was just as you said that, I thought, yeah, yeah. Again, we could talk about that for another whole hour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. another, that's a massive topic. And I think that there can't yeah. be well-being without diversity and equity and inclusion yeah no. that's Absolutely. not well-being if we don't have that yeah so yeah yeah so <laughs> genuine and, and yeah um and what's the word um intentional inclusion just doesn't just happen yes. does it? it's, it's just so important to, to actively work on and um and just push forwards and keep going and, and that's i mean what a fascinating conversation thank you thank you so much for your time and uh and, and just incredible you know, points, strategies, um, things that you guys have chosen to, to sort of do in your schools and things that I've learned and, and things, outcomes that have been, been gained from that and um, so many great ideas um, that hopefully you, know, you guys can, can maybe uh, share in your schools, but also, you know, the, the viewers of this can, can also maybe start to think about implementing in their own school environments. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much again for your time. What a fascinating conversation. And, um, and I'm sure we'll be doing a, a part two, uh, maybe focusing on, on a few of these key things we touched on in, in more depth. But, yeah, thank you so much, guys. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you, everyone.